we were doing a lot more settlement agreements because we couldn't wait for the hearing date. Meanwhile, the investors already lost all of his cash and he's, he's hemorrhaging funds. Sometimes at five to $6,000 a month holding costs, right? So we had to get kind of wise to this. And now that's what you're starting to see representatives. Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Welcome back, Right Club community, to another episode of the Right Club Podcast. I'm Alfonso Slemmy, and joining me, my co-host today, is Sarah Larby. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm doing great. You know what? Uh, we're back in the swing of things. We just recently had an in-person Right Club event. The community online keeps growing. Uh, there's a lot of good buzz, a lot of good things going on. The market is changing. It's always changing. So us as smart, educated investors are always growing and adapting. And uh, yeah, really excited for today's show as well. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew Chubetta is my go-to paralegal. I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge and I like how he just thinks outside the box and he's not just like, so sometimes there's paralegals that are like, nope, this is what you can do and that's it. He has solutions to many, I think many were, many wouldn't have solutions to. So I'll, I'll tell you, my blood was boiling when we were talking because there are some things that are coming down the pipes, but you know what? It's okay. It's, it's important to learn about them. This is not always positive, this business, there's always downsides to it. And, and then there's also a lot of roadblocks that we're going to be facing and more to come more roadblocks from the politicians, more roadblocks along the way. So it's about adapting and it's about pivoting, but it's, it's, it's one of those shows. If you're in Ontario and your landlord, you will not want to miss this because you are going to see what's coming down the pipelines. Yep. You're going to love this interview. So let's get, let's get right to it. All right, let's do it. Andrew Trubetta, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I always love our chats because there's like, it's a combination of like anger and rage with like, I'm glad I know now so I can make the right moves to not get into the, the, the realm of, of all the rules and regulations and little less and less things that we can do from a landlord standpoint. Anyways, you're a paralegal, you're my paralegal, you're many investors paralegal, but you're also an investor and you have like a bunch of buildings in Ethiopia and a bunch of other investment properties as well. So you know what, let's just dive right into it just because I know you've been on the show a couple of times and you have so much knowledge and uh, there's not enough time usually to do these podcasts. So quick overview of, of who you are, if you want to add anything and let's just dive into what we need to know today as landlords. Yeah, sure. So like, yeah, my name is Andrew Chibetta. I'm a paralegal, licensed paralegal operating in Ontario. I do a lot of landlord and tenant board stuff stuff, including or moving tenants for whichever reason, if that's renovations to people selling properties to drugs, guns, rock and roll, and everything else in between gang violence, so whatever that comes up on the day in the day to day. Right. So I actually have someone who's eating bricks out of, uh, out of the side of a building at the moment. So there's that. So the thing that, and everything that comes up and, and uh, in the realm of real estate law and, and that type of thing. So that's traditionally what I'm doing. Yeah. And obviously as a, as a paralegal, you are a huge asset for all landlords, property owners, people that are managing their buildings. I know obviously pre-pandemic, when you go to the landlord tenant board, I would call it, well, I'm just going to say it, I'd call it hell on earth. It was, yeah, not, not a friendly place to be, not, not somewhere that you'd want to spend your days. And then things got online. And I think now we're 
I don't know if we're back to, I haven't been to a tribunal in a while. I think we're still online to a certain point. So obviously having a paralegal part of your power team is, is, is crucial. So I guess maybe, yeah, like, like Sarah said, like what, uh, what are some of the things that were coming down the pipeline that we, we should be aware of that are maybe new? And then, and then maybe we'll, we'll go back to on things that, that we all landlords should know, or, or maybe we take it for granted sometimes. So let's start off with what's coming out and what's new these days. Yeah. So the most troubling thing that I can, I can say with some confidence is a lot of landlords have been using the M13 notice, right? So notice of renovation, right? So the, the old way of removing tenants is sort of ending off. Like we're seeing quite a few files, like Hamilton's the hot spot right now for this. Toronto also has it too, but it's less marred with politics. Believe it or not, even though you would think it was, it's actually not. So what traditionally, I'll, I'll give you the, the example of what people would do. And then I'll tell you what's happening now, why you should be a little bit concerned about it. So what traditional people would do, if you're dealing with a multi-residential unit, let's say Main Street inside Oakville, for example, and then it's 20 units, let's say. So traditionally, old landlord sells it, you buy it, you have your refinancing coming up, you have your BRR strategy, buy, rent, or refinance, all the good stuff. You need to hit that ROI, you need to hit that cap rate, you got to get the rents up, et cetera, so it justifies the decision. Also, your property that may be dilapidated, may have health code issues, may have fire code issues, et cetera. So you're doing this huge reno, you're getting it up to compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you're going to see how things contradict to each other. Traditionally speaking, how people would do it is you would do an M13, and then you would do something called an interior alterations permit. Now, interior alterations permit could be anything, right? It could be something as simple as flooring. Like I'll tell you what I do. It would be flooring, windows, insulation, right? It would be not the movement of the electrical fixtures, but light switches, et cetera, right? So you keep the permit centralized to something that's very minor, but you still need a permit for it right? The threshold for a removal for the landlord tenancy board is different from the threshold as a permit. So you may thinking as an investor, for me to get a successful eviction with an N13, you would need to have significant amount of work, like underpinning a foundation or something like that. Not the case. You just need to have a permit, right? So what a lot of landlords were using, what larger corporations would use is they would use that interior alteration permit. An interior alteration permit costs 200 bucks, right? It was not that expensive and you can draw it with crayon and you would just have a outline of a gut insulation but you would never do anything on that permit request that would have architectural drawings for example you wouldn't do that well now the city's gotten like most cities have started getting wise of this oakville being one of them and what they're i i really hate this idea but what they're going to be trying to do is blocking off that ability that ability by stating that they won't give you permits unless a landlord either has an N11, so an agreement to vacate, or they know exactly where that tenant is going and they have already found stable housing somewhere else. So, so, so what's the chance of that actually happening, right? Like if you, your tenant is going to want to stay, they're not signing the N11 and you, you may or may not even have anything else that you can offer them. So you're basically saying we're SOL. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing reasonably speaking what I could do. Like if I had a client that was in that situation, which I do, I would say, well, okay. I tried to do a cash for keys thing. Right. And I hate that term. And you know how much I hate it because it doesn't exist. It's settlements. It's not cash for keys, but now it is flat cash for keys. Beforehand, we would serve the notice and then you do a settlement. 
ARR advanced resolution request, or you try to, to do an agreement for them to vacate, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. But now you're having to go to the, the tenant beforehand because you can't even get your permits. Hmm. And you're going to have to make a request of where they're going to go or secure them housing or pay them. That is flat cash for keys. And that is where you see those settlements for 10, 15, 30, $35,000. And that's where it goes to. The way a landlord should be doing this is you serve the notice, then in good faith, you contact them and see if you can have an agreement. And that, you know, the conversation is no longer about, because you don't try to be performance specific, it's settlement, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not paying someone to vacate, you're paying them to find another unit or you pay for their moving expenses, et cetera. But now with this, you have to, right? So you can't even, you're not going to be successful at the board because you need a permit to be successful at the board. Now imagine that. And now imagine you have bylaw on you because the tenant contacts bylaw, right? And you have to do rentals and your contractor says they're not going to go in because no contractor is going to go in with the tenant in there because it disrupts their work and contractors are flighty as it is. So they bolt off the job. Right. So you have to get a handyman to do it. So you're you're stuck in this odd rock in a hard place. You can't get your permit. You can't get your eviction. Right. And your contractor is certainly not going to do the work. And if you do, you have to bribe them enough so they can handle it. And if if the relationship with the tenant, let's say, is less than ideal, 90 percent of the time it's going to be less than ideal because you've served them with the notice of eviction. I would say with some guarantee you're basically SOL. We're going to take a quick break from the show. Right Club Nation, let's take a quick minute here to meet our sponsor for the week, Blackjack Contracting. They've been serving Niagara, Hamilton, and Brantford areas, and for the past three years, becoming the area's largest basement suite renovation specialist. That's right, and Blackjack works with real estate investors, both new and experienced, converting single-family homes into multiple legal suites and renovating properties to achieve their maximum potential and value. Absolutely. And they've completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between. They handle everything from permitting and design to final cleaning before you list your rentals. And they also have fully licensed electrical contractors certified with the ESA and take jobs of all sizes. Make sure to check them out at blackjackcontractinginc.ca and also follow them on social media at blackjackcontractinginc. And they say investing can sometimes feel like the biggest gamble of your life. But when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So now back to the podcast. And now back to the show. There goes the rental market and the desire to invest in Ontario. Comes into play. And I, I think it sounds like from what you're saying, it's just Oakville right now, but other cities and municipalities are thinking about it. So so like the N13, essentially that like we use it, we use the N12 or the N13. N12 is if you've got a family member moving in, you got to do it in good faith. The N13 is also an out to end the tenancy if you're going to well, do the renovations or whatnot. But my understanding is they can still come back at the same rent. Usually most people don't, right? So, so then why, why would someone keep investing in Ontario? Because ultimately at the end of the day, the tenant is going to suffer because ultimately we're going to start pulling out we're going to go to the short-term, mid-term. If the short-term becomes a bylaw, we go mid-term. And all of a sudden, the people that are looking for affordable housing are going to have less and less and less. And it's going to be these big institutions, potentially these big buildings. But if you want to live in a house, or you want to be living in a unit in a house, good luck. There's probably going to be less and less and people are going to sell. Yeah. Like, and this is the thing is like, I'm sure you see it. Like a lot of, a lot of investors, like, I, I don't understand. I, I, get, I get what they're trying to do. Like, I really do. Right. There's a lot of, 
there's, there's some unfortunately some bad landlords they exist like unicorns mm-hmm. but they do exist and there's a lot of bad tenants as well right but the problem is when you have one bad landlord and they have 400 units that's a big problem right so there mm-hmm. this law is trying to go after that guy right? right but the problem is everyone knows who that guy is right and it, it catches up you end up seeing large t5 applications at the board and they end up losing they lose quite badly and when that does happen they never do it again the remedial issue is there but now since like i don't i don't know if it's 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 likely from the growth of this real estate market and the brr strategy and all these other things everyone's in it everyone's got a podcast and everyone's trying to do the the renovation and they're cutting corners so they're trying they don't know how to do it correctly they're not looking at the the right way of doing things and when when they're you're seeing 60 70 80 90 flips inside one city from like the same five investors six investors then these ward counselors are getting very quick to it and they're trying to stop it from happening because remember they're not elected from those investors they're invested from the, their constituents and the constituents are seeing five garner street get rented six garner street get rented eight nine ten and everyone's friends right? There's one street that my, one of our clients is working on. He owns three. His friend, who's also part of his real estate team, owns another five. And the last four are owned by one of his colleagues as well. They own the entire street, right? So that's what they're seeing here. And they're trying to curb that from happening. But at the same time, when you're looking at something at 20 units, like, come on, Sarah, who's going to buy that thing? Mm -hmm. With this law, who's going to buy it? Right. And you start seeing investors buy it and then hold and then just sell it. Meanwhile, they could care less about what happens with the investment itself. They could care less about the maintenance concerns. They could care less about renovations and providing good, stable housing because you've basically told them there's no incentive to do it anyways. So why do it? Right. It's like, so, it's- yeah. So, no, I, and it, this is, it, it's just creating a, a huge, a kind of like a hurdle and an, an, an obstacle for people to continue to do this when the rules are continued against the, the, the landlord or the owners, right? So I guess for those that we're, we're still going to find a way, obviously there's different markets, different areas, and, and the world is a, is a much smaller place with the internet to expand our horizons. But in this Ontario market, what are some of the options that like to go ahead and raise rents or, or increase rents or, or have any, do we have any from a legal standpoint? Obviously we have our increases on the year to year basis that are very nominal, but like, is there agreements that can be signed with with tenants or, or incentives given. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to pull at all strings here because it sounds kind of, uh, kind of hopeless right now. <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing, right? And it's a, like, I guess a lot of investors don't see it, but I would really like to show like behind the scenes, what you see paralegals and law offices are doing now, like that door to open a little bit because everyone has gotten kind of, you see, you see the shift in the change before People weren't using N13s. And then now with a lot of representatives, it's getting very popular, right? They're they're hedging their bets on a lot of these other applications because now you're waiting eight to nine months for a hearing date. You're in Toronto, you're waiting more than a year. So what people are doing now is they're starting to get more and more creative. The reason why our office represents so many investors is because we kind of got to that a little bit early. So we were doing a lot more settlement agreements because we couldn't wait for the hearing date. Meanwhile, the investors already lost all of his cash and he's, he's hemorrhaging funds sometimes at five to $6,000 a month holding costs, right? So we had to get kind of wise to this. And now that's what you're starting to see representatives do now. So it's more of a sense, the reason why you need to have someone on quote unquote, your power team, basically, mm-hmm. if it's not me, you need to have someone, 
right? Yeah. And it needs to be someone that's sort of special. A lot of paralegals like work specifically in LTB law. There's, there's very, my colleagues are very smart and good at this, right? So there's, there's quite a few that do do this, but you need to have someone that works specifically in investing. And that's where I'm starting to see because like, you know, practitioners specialize in certain ways and some don't, and mm. you need something that's solution focused versus legal focused. Because if you just do your paperwork and you file it, good luck. You're not going to get the, the return that you're looking for. The overall goal is not going to be there. So you're, like the answer to your question, Alfonso, mm-hmm. is, is basically, it's not a direct answer because there's so many other things you could be doing. Like I had a couple of investors that I brought on a couple of weeks ago and they've like, they have a simple L4, L1, where every landlord knows non-payment of rent, eviction, right? But they're very upset that they have to wait eight months. It's like, well, did you try to do an ARR? It's like, what's that? It's like, well, it's an advanced resolution request. Give her what she wants. Give the tenant what she wants, right? Make her pay whatever payment schedule that she wishes. She's not going to do it, right? She didn't pay rent five months beforehand. So do the ARR. You get a stamped copy of the order within a month. And then the breach is within the next month. And then you're out, the tenant's out of the property within three months or four months. It's opposed to 12. Mm-hmm. Right. So just the shift of it's a shift in culture that we are starting to see a lot of practitioners utilize and a lot of investors utilize. No, and people got to get wise to this because you can't be waiting eight months. It's like it's killer. And the clients that I have that are, are waiting for eight months, it's hard to tell them, but sometimes there's nothing else really you can do. And there's some cases that you are just basically SOL. You've, you've got to start looking for a different approach. And that's kind of what our office, well, it is what our office is having to do and what we specialize in at this point. And I think that goes to show that like your, your, whatever you cost, in my opinion, it's, it's a hundred percent worth itself in gold, because that's a matter of three, four months versus potentially 12 plus months, because you understand how to maneuver through things. And there's always little gray areas and then you find new gray areas. And so again, I think there's, there's definitely some changes coming uh, to Ontario, uh, even from a short-term rental, the bylaws that we're seeing, there's a lot of change and it's usually not in our favor, who is going to suffer ultimately at the end? I think it's still going to be the end user, the tenants uh, that are going to suffer ultimately. It's just going to be a matter of time, whether it means there's even less inventory or the landlords are just going to jack up their price even more to account for all of the you know issues and, and everything else, or potentially... I don't know. Like I, this is why the midterm strategy for me is yeah. like much better. I'll make my calls. I'll get my, my connections with the hospitals, with film industry, like everything. And I'll build my database and that'll be, that'll be what, what I do, but it's about pivoting. So I do also want to ask you because there's, there's a lot of like rumors and things going on. So let's talk about the short-term bylaws that are happening, what you're hearing about that. And let's, let's also talk about even like there's been some rumors about like not being able to increase rents in between tenants. And I think the last <laughs> yeah, one, that, <laughs> that, that one's a big one. So like, let's just yeah. see, like, I mean, I, I don't know if they're rumors or how true they are. So let's get your opinion. Okay. So for like the, the big thing and the big fear, which is the, the locking of, of rental rates, do I think it's rumor? It's rumor. Do I think it's going to get voted down? It will now it will right? It's just the nature of it. No one's going to allow it. It's just too soon. But it got to second reading this, the, the first time they did this a couple of years ago, like a year or two ago. And then they tried it again this time. Like the reason why everyone's sort of going up in arms about it is because it, it will eventually pass if someone doesn't stop it. Like every time, you know, 
the the board just keeps getting closer and closer and closer it's like the 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 stop gap is not there anymore people and do you think it would happen under ford like i feel like it would happen under like if kathleen was there or like freaking ndp oh yeah it would yeah it would you can guarantee that yeah it's a hot button subject and you have to think it actually makes my blood boil as we're talking about it because literally like why would you ever make any renovations in between tenants why would you rent it back to a long-term tenant at that point you're going to switch it you're going to sell like I don't know that I just, that is like, to me, it's just insane insanity. And I know that there are some places like, I don't know if Montreal does it, but I heard Montreal has some kind of database that they do this on, but I'll let you finish talking. But yeah, absolutely. Like my, my blood is boiling when I hear this kind of stuff. Yeah, no. And, and the and rightfully so, because like, this is the thing that, that, that law would be great for someone that has market rent and always does their, their N1 right? Their notice of rental increase always does it like on board, right? And they own two units in a single And, and they probably don't have tenants that have been there for 10 years with inflation yeah. now, just like even the- Yeah, it'd be great. It's a great law. It's like, doesn't well, make like, any sense. Yeah, it does, it's fine, right? As an investor, I'd be, oh, it doesn't matter to me. It's fine, right? Yeah. Like if they want to lock it, lock it. I don't care about market well, rent anyways. It's just completely increase. But if you're is, at like, sorry, go ahead. Is, sir, I was just going to say, so what, like, what is the reasoning? It's like, if we're saying it's, it's not, it's not helping- the masses it's it's helping tenants it's helping more people more votes is that the reason that they're they're pushing this is to get reelected to get more votes through it is that they're thinking around this because to us it sounds crazy right and again I, this is just yeah. an opinion you know yeah yeah no yeah. i i i like the, the 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 joke in my office is, is me yelling communism at the top of my lips <laughs> right that's yeah. the joke right but the 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 actual answer to that is first it, it would, like, I have to acknowledge it. It would help a lot of people. It would. And naturally speaking, for the end user, there's a lot of people that would benefit from this. True. Is it a political thing? 100%. Does it make functional sense? Absolutely not. It is the most dumbest idea I can possibly think of. The reason why is because I, I can, I, I, of course I can't, but I could rattle off addresses to you, right? Of these nightmare places where you start to see the system work against the tenants, right? The first thing I tell every tenant client, if you live in an illegal unit, don't call bylaw. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to get evicted. Don't do that, right? Sort the situation out first. And if that's if it's applicable, I'll tell you you need to do it. But do not do it because what happens? Bylaw gets involved. They cite a bunch of violations. And what happens? You have a valid reason to UN 13, out the door you go right? So it's people shooting themselves in the foot thinking it's a great idea. But in a lot of cities, there's a lot of properties that are illegal units. And in this specific case, if you have this law in place and you have 120 units in one building or 20 units, 30 units, you start to see turnover in those investors. Hold for a couple of years, people leave, leave a vacant, right? You leave 40 doors vacant. And I have a property that's exactly like this. It's gone through the who's who's of investors, the big names. I can't, I can't say, but it's gone through. It's, on, it's in Hamilton, just in, in downtown. And it's gone through the best of the best of, of Ontario, the best investors, the power teams, all of it. Every single one sold. And people and, and the tenant group, which is uh, which I won't discuss them because not that great of terms with them, but that that group has contacted me many times about the specific property. And the answer is always the same. Why, who in the right mind would buy this place? Who would want to work with you? Right. And it's like, and you have to work with them. And it's, well, they, no one's renovating these things correctly. It's like, well, they're not going to, because the incentive is not there. They can't get their rents. And a mom and pop person is not buying a hundred units. They're not buying 50 units. They're not doing it. 
right? The capital that's needed is going to be a large corporation. And they look at purely at numbers. If you make the numbers make sense, make sense. We'll work with you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. This law, it won't. And if it won't, they just won't touch it. And those places will sit there and they'll, and the end user, the tenant ends up being harmed because they don't have running water fast. They, they live in 20, they live there 20, 30 years in a unit that's never been rented. It's like, right, this is what happens. It's right. You have to keep the balance. And if you do this, you're going to shift the scales heavily in one favor. If you do that, then you're going to go back to the wild west of people just ripping out door locks and then shutting off the power, making people miserable. It's like, cause that's the only thing that's left of these people. Mm -hmm. And they've, they thought this investment was a great idea. Now they're losing six, seven, eight, nine, $10,000 a month. And people get desperate and they get dumb, right? Even the most professional investors, they just try to find a quick way out. So they're not losing their entire retirement, right? Or declaring bankruptcy. And yeah, that's where you see like the, the animosity start to go, but that that's where it's going to go, right? If this law passes, which eventually yeah. I think it will, if you start, if they start electing the NDP or, or some more counselors in there that are a lot more tenant focused, which in more and more are becoming, and even the conservatives are starting to have to acknowledge certain things. It, it's yeah, you, you could very much see this in Ontario. And if you did, it's not going to be a good day. We're going to take a quick break from the show. Do you have a message that you would like to reach a captive audience of thousands of real estate investing focused people with? Then you should be sponsoring the Right Club podcast. We currently have some pre-roll and mid-roll spots on our weekly podcast, which is consistently in the top 100 Canadian podcasts for business and investing, and in the top 1.5% of all podcasts globally, according to Listen Notes. Our audience wants to hear from you. Edison Research found that 67% of podcast listeners enjoy hearing the ads, compared with just 6% for TV and radio. The WARC report said that 78% of listeners are comfortable with hearing ads on podcasts to support non-paid content. To find out more about availability and pricing, get in touch with Catherine Nelson-Riley, Operations Manager at Catherine at therightclub.com. And now back to the show. So what are, without going into too much details, because I think it's probably more of a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but just general, what are some things that landlords could potentially consider to protect their portfolios and their investments? Well, I know you're going to be doing a very lovely talk about tenant screening at yes. the, the next upcoming <laughs> tenant conference. screening is a big yeah, one. Let's plug that for Kayla. Yeah, this is October 6th, no, October. October 1st. October 1st uh, yeah, by the time yeah. this airs though, I think I... I think it would have passed. in November, it might've just passed, but yeah. it'll be a great event. Yeah. So big thing, big thing is going to be tenant screening. And that's the thing where everyone starts harping on too, because I know some tenants are going to watch this and they're going to say, well, I have to show my bank statements and all these other things. Like, yeah. It's like, this is the reason why. Hell yeah, right? exactly. If we can't remove you unless like, like if you stop paying and all of a sudden we're waiting 12 months or we can't do any renovations at all, you know what? It's just at, at the end of the day. Yeah. So like, yeah, expect, expect to have a lot more to show or at some point, and probably a lot of people too, are going to decide to leave the unit unit vacant. Yeah. You and I, it's daily that I have, like, I've actually, I have a case for a lawyer at the moment and this guy, this tenant is in, is in the property and he's cost over a hundred grand worth of damage and he hasn't paid rent in a year and a half. And he knows the system. So everything gets adjourned, pushed, yada, yada. Wow. And it's like, well, this is this is the, the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario is you going bankrupt. So it's like, well, it makes sense if you're if you're doing something like that, right? If, if you do this to a, a car dealership 
and then you pass qualification and let's say you just don't pay the car, they repo the car and the matter's done, right? Their remedy is just losing the car. It's not the entire business sinking through the floor. If that was the case, you would expect them to be a little more due diligent, right? And this is, this is what they do, right? So, and if a landlord is going to be renting to you, yeah, you expect for the next couple of years, things are going to get a lot more stricter. You can have a lot more personal interviews and you're going to get a lot more people going into your background. And mm -hmm. People lie on credit reports. Like I see that daily. I see people coming up with, you know, I had massive, like someone was had an active warrant for arrest and they were trying to rent this property. And I told the landlord, you should probably call the cops because he is in fact wanted for arrest. <laughs> like there's like, there's the people trying to get away with this stuff and it happens every day. And every, every tenant also is dealing with scams on, yeah, on Kijiji, true. right? With true. someone's posting things online. It's like, that happens every it go, single It goes second. both ways. It goes yeah. both ways for sure. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to ask one more question and then Alfonso, I'll give it to you. I'm just like, I, I just love this topic so much. Yeah. I love it. And I hate it like just as equally, cause it, it's also like sometimes infuriating, but um, I, I do get both sides. However. Okay. So the only other thing I want to ask you, and then I'll give Alfonso the floor, but you know how Ford, you basically created no rent control from November 15th, 2018 onwards. Mm -hmm. Any rumors about that being removed? No, no, I haven't heard anything about that at all. And I don't, I don't think it will, right? Because you, you got to give landlords an incentive to build those new units. How would it know. work though, if the new laws came into play where you couldn't increase the rents between the tenants? What they would, I, 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 okay, this is, this is me off of personal opinion. Is that what I think they would do? What I think they would do is likely lock leases after, after the first tenancy occurred. Because that exemption rule anyways, starts with the first person. So it's not really affecting the second or third or fifth, right? But it starts with that first person. If you're, in, if you're the first tenant, so the actual rule with that 2018 is it's the first tenant that enters that property. It could be the, the rental increases can just change. But if you're at the second individual, you can potentially try, but it gets a lot harder. So really? Okay. So, so this is news to me, actually. I did not know that. So when you have your second or third tenant in that unit, that's not rent controlled, they are not ex like we're not exempt from that 2.5% or whatever the government says so that we have to go and increase by that amount after. the first Yeah. So this out. is the beautiful thing about the law. So you're right. And you're wrong at the same time. Okay. So it's, it still applies, right? So the secondary person, you can jack up the rent to whatever you want. Yeah. But if it goes to a hearing and yeah. the previous tenant, like let's say you were making $3,100, right? That's your rent. And then you increase it to five for the secondary tenant. Then if it goes to a hearing, adjudicator would ask you, you took rent for a year and a half at $3,000. How, how did you get it to five grand? Can you justify that? Because it's going to look retaliatory. That's what they're sort of digging for. So you, you don't, you're not in a position of justifying the amount, but you're kind of in a position of justifying the amount. And sometimes it gets kicked out, right? If, you're, if you also have something like, oh, well, I've got an easement now on this property and I also have massive tax bills that we weren't considering. And the, we also have to now put a new septic system inside the place we didn't consider in the first because it's a new build, all these other things. Oh, and the market rent for the place across the street is now at $7,000. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense, right? You price mm -hmm. it at three, comparable say eight, you're perfectly good. But if this is just you jacking the rent to five grand, they're going to ask why, what's the reason there's something there for just that tenant. But what about for the next tenant? Like once they move out and the next one comes in, same, same, just my thing. So, it's, so you could start them at five. You could then go to six, like you could yeah. increase by 20%. So there's still, there's still market. Like, so they're not rent controlled the second or third. Okay. Just, just want to clarify that. Cause yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's, okay. it's not, it's not controlled. Right. I can tell you, 
I would, if I was going to the tribunal for that, I'd likely would win. I'd, I'd like, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Right. But. Okay. If, so as long as the second or third tenant is still not rent controlled, you just have to be able to justify. Okay. Got it. That's yeah, what I thought. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're on the same page. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got like worried there for a second. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, you, you like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be the reason. Like there's, there's a lot of nuance because of course case law, right. And the LTB yeah. is the LTB. They don't even list their own order sometimes. Right. So it, it's kind of a feel some adjudicators, no problem. A lot of the other ones, arm and a leg you have to, you're arguing for two hours over something as simple as a as a stove right so it just depends a lot of the time like I, i'm listening to this and i really like i'm thanking my lucky stars that most of the investments that i do are rent to own the people <laughs> i want to stay there we've we've had to go down this path less than a handful of times i also have a small portfolio of just normal rentals that that go through this and and i think like i've always looked at it as like if you go to the grocery store you fill up your cart and you walk out without paying like someone's stopping you, you're going to get the police called on you. That That's, you're breaking the law. I, I never understood why someone could get away with days and then another warning and then months and months and months of without paying, especially if it's someone business, someone's business of running this. Now, even if you are just have one rental or four doors or five doors, it should be applied the same way that if you're doing it for business, you have to put the 20% down because it's not your primary residence. You, you're claiming it as active income. Why, why is it treated that way? And I get it. It's people's homes. This is where people call home and it's safe and you just can't have droves of people out on the street. And I think that's where it cuts both ways, where landlords need to be responsible on who they're letting into their, their, their units. And you can't just cry, oh, my God, these people are the worst if you didn't do any screening beforehand. But at the same time, there needs to be repercussions that, like you, you mentioned, this one gentleman that year and a half and hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage. Well, there's got to be repercussions for them as well, too. And, and I, I, I get into these conversations often, you know, like this, where it is broken. It almost needs to kind of start all over, right? The yeah. landlord tenant order, or there needs to be more adjudicators, more, more people that to have a common sense approach. But I think like, I don't know, like what's, what's the, like, again, Andrew, it's just, just your, your, your opinion, but what is that so, magic wand of that happy medium? So let me, let me explain. So let me somewhat change your, your, your outlook and look at uh, how this sort of works just a little bit. So the, the reason why you're not seeing people go to like civil or even criminal issues a lot of the time with landlord and tenant board issues is because, inherently speaking, it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a law thing, civil, it's a civil matter, it's not criminal, yeah, 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 you know, all that. I'm not going to bore you with that kind of stuff. But the, the ideology behind that is it's more akin to if you were a contractor and you had a client run away from a bill, that's how they treat it, right? So it's more of a non-payment on a civil basis, because as again, like if you were a grocery store, you were offering a thing, right? And you're doing something for like specific performance, you get to utilize the property, et cetera, et cetera, right? You offer a rental unit, right? Now, there is a guy, I don't even know what his name is, but he, it's like this, this sainted individual who works with the, the office of... Um, he works with the office of the sheriff's office. I don't know his name, but I've only heard about him through the sheriff himself. And he's an individual that does investigations for rental fraud. Okay. And my chief goal for the past month and a half after I heard about this guy's existence is to make this guy the most busiest person in existence because it's one guy and he prosecutes tenants who habitually run away from rent. And there's these people that run like seven, eight, nine, ten properties, and they owe twenty, thirty, forty, sixty thousand dollars, and they just run and run and run and run. This guy's job is to just hunt those people down and 
and go after criminal prosecution for fraud. Hmm. So, and I, entire time I've been thinking, where the hell has this guy been for the past like two or three years? Has he been working? Right. right? right. And I, I don't know. I don't know who he is. I don't really know. And even the sheriff said that he'd only seen him once. Sheriff does hundreds of evictions. Most of the times people just don't know how to go through the criminal process. So I'm actually dealing with another lawyer at the moment to, to sort of look at this and see if I can speak about it a little bit more later down the so line. So you need to find him essentially. So if somebody's Basically. listening to this that knows who this person is. Yeah. Let, us Let know. me know which <laughs> office he works with because the sheriff forgot. Right, remember so, that show, the dog bounty hunter. It sounds like this guy. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. he's a he's some sort of prosecutor, I think. So I'd be like, maybe he works with the rental housing enforcement. I don't know, but the nature of it is that you're you're having people that do this on a daily basis now, where they just don't pay rent. The biggest thing is people renting properties. And then just using them to, to shoot up for drugs. And I've got one exactly like that on Gray Road. And that's all it is. There's a futon. I was just in there yesterday. There's a futon on the floor. And then there's a whole bunch of alcohol and then just drugs galore, right? So obviously this person doesn't live there, but they're claiming that they do. And there's no items of effects there. Properties complete. It's still drywall dust on inside the washroom because it's never been flushed. Hmm. Like it's like, it's like, but the, the comment is still, that they still live there, right? So when you're, when you're seeing the system act like there's always a, a change and a cause and effect, right? So it's getting worse right now, but it'll get better because there's people out there, myself and Kayla and, and Sarah and you guys that notice these things. And then the shift goes back and shift from actual action. So if I start moving on these files a little bit differently, it'll draw more attention. The nature of it is that we have so many files in this office mm-hmm. as along with my other colleagues who have a hundred, 200 files, 300 files, right? And the culture change through practitioners and investors and the investors that work with them is the most important thing, right? And then you'll start to see this stuff start to disappear a lot faster and faster. Gone are the days where you get to see a, a tenant damage a property, property so forcefully and with alcohol and drugs, et cetera. Nowadays, you, if you try to do a, you know, so try to sell drugs at a property, you get an N7, you get a hearing date in three months, boom, right? And that's because practitioners were banging at the door, right? Mm-hmm. With adjudicators saying like, no, 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 no. This has got to go to the express lane. It's got to go right to the top, right? So the N7s, they're right to the top. And mm-hmm. the responsibility is on me as a practitioner to make sure that the client is not abusing that process. So a lot of times when clients call and it's like, we'll I have an N7. Can we do an N7? Potentially it's an illegal act in this sense. Most of them I'll say no, because I know what will happen. I go there, I'll get chewed out by the adjudicator for doing such a thing that jumped the line. Right. So even so some people will do is they'll draft the N7, serve it, file it, but they'll have an N5 or a non-payment of rent. They'll get to the board and then they think they're being cute and they'll withdraw that N7 and the adjudicator will just run right into you because they don't want the time, the, the, the board's time to be wasted. They gave practitioners that allocation. They're not going to see it abused. Right. So mm-hmm. there's always going to be a nature of a, a change. Right. So it won't, won't be like this forever. Yeah. And- one, one quick follow-up on that, on the, the time frame, because that's always the question, the delay, months and months and months. You said Toronto over a year. In most cases, I think seven, eight months is what I've been hearing, even in around Hamilton. Is there any push from the board or from the government of hiring more adjudicators or a program that was incentivizing people to become, because I'm not sure if that would solve the problem, yeah. but having more of them and more hearings and more availability, I'm just wondering, obviously you're involved in it every day. So I'm just wondering if there's any incentive I know everybody from the private side wouldn't want to jump over and do the adjudicating, but yeah, is there anything that's coming down the pipeline from that sense? So, so like, let's, okay. So that's what they did, right? They, they just hired nonstop, 
right? They hired hundreds of people to be adjudicators. Now, for example, there is an adjudicator that is a licensed number. He's also, he's a representative from my understanding, but he's, he's a, a year junior to me. I'm pretty junior. I may have a lot of, I have a lot of files. I'm very experienced about this, this sort of work, but that's a little, right. And there's some other individuals that are entrepreneurs, charity officials, right. That aren't lawyers. They're just, there's a great, it's great in some cases, right. Where you have more, if you go to the house of commons, well, who do you see? Business guy, lawyer, 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 business guy, lawyer, lawyer. You don't see doctor. You don't see engineers. You don't see anything else. That's what they wanted to do. Mm. But again, that's what they did. And then the hiring process was so fast because they needed people immediately. So now you're starting to see orders that make no sense, right? So the adjudicators are just completely dismissing some things and looking at some other things. It's kind of like, you don't even know where things are going to lie because they're, they're not, like the board doesn't follow its own rules sometimes, right? Even something as simple as, you know, submission decorum on how you actually make submissions, right? So there, there's a lot of great adjudicators out there that have been there and doing it for 20 years, 10 years. The vice chairs are fantastic at, at hearing legal practice. But then you also have other adjudicators that have been doing this for a year and a half. And then you're, you know, hear those stories of landlords coming out going, I don't know what happened. Like we went in there and all of a sudden I just lost over, uh, over nothing, right? And you're starting to see that. Sometimes you just, it's quite clear, right? These, some individuals just are not, they're not mm -hmm. new, right? Mm -hmm. So it, that, that's the thing. Right. Like it, it, we yeah. kind of like I have I've done this for years now, quite a while. I've been an investor since I was 18. I've been working in law since the past decade. My colleagues have been combined experience in like I think 15 years. But if you saw me at the board, like two months from now, kind of odd, be a little bit weird, wouldn't you think? Seeing myself yeah. there as an adjudicator be kind of weird. But no, that's good insight. Cause I again I I didn't I, I knew that there was a lot of hiring, but I didn't understand what the mm what the, the background or what the protocol or what the, yeah, I guess qualifications would have to be for those people that are being hired. So there is no silver bullet <laughs> to, to, to solve yeah. this or to fix this. Yeah. It's, um, it's, you can't just fix it. And I'd like, and I'd like to say that the, I know the answer to that question, but the truth of the answer, I don't think anyone does. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it needs time. It needs like five years of like practice and those adjudicators to be there for like five or six years then they'll get good but you just hired like 30 or 40 people they dump money into the board but then they didn't allocate it correctly they made a new system they started working into tech that's been fun and business crap and then at the same time they brought in adjudicators but mm -hmm. at the same time you brought in new adjudicators, right? When there's a new judge on the bench somewhere, everyone sort of tries to figure out their feel. The practitioners kind of know like what's going on with this person. Like what's their demeanor? Mm -hmm. Like, should I come into court in the morning or am I coming just after lunch? When am I going to get a different decision? That's the joke, right? But <laughs> at the yeah. same time, you don't, you, and these adjudicators have, I'm just giving them a little bit of leeway. They have monstrous files, like 80, 80 dockets in a day, 80 oh. to 90 dockets. Some of them, and then some of them, if they're lucky, they have 20. And these are massive files. And like, they're expected to read all of it. And, they, and at this point, like I know better, right? I just go, it's instead of the pleadings, X, Y, Z, 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 let's get out of here. You're done, right? And I tell that of every client, it should be fast, quick. It should be done 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to cross-examination, maybe an hour or two, that kind of thing. But you want to be really quick. And I teach this to a lot of the other practitioners that work in my office. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have time to hear your, your repetitive right. questions and garbage. Right. Yeah, yeah. Get to you the point and move on to the next. Is, is it still all, all on Zoom right now? Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back. Cats. 
Yeah. Hey, Andrew, you know what? It's like, we, I know we've, we've gone way over time. It's always amazing to have you, have you on. Like I literally, I could, I could talk to you. I feel like for like three hours and we would still just be scraping the surface of what we need to know. I would just say to somebody listening to this, just contact Andrew with whatever the questions are, the the problems are just Andrew, just make sure you have enough time for me. (laughs) But otherwise, otherwise you're awesome. And, uh, and I think ultimately just hire, this is an important person you want to have on your expert team because you don't want to be doing this yourself, especially if you're a newer investor. And there's lots of like little ways that you can go around things that like you, Andrew, with your, your 15 plus years of experience could still bring to the table based on experience that like even an experienced landlord might not know. So we're going to go into our, our lightning round. We're going to ask you four questions. You're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind in like 15 seconds, 20 seconds or less. You ready? Sure. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right. This is not paralegal stuff per se. This is more about you. But what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Move fast, work quickly, make decisions, and don't be fucking lazy. Mark Loeffler. Awesome. Love that. Love that. What is your favorite resource for real estate investing? And that could be anything, a product, a person, a training, an event. What's your favorite resource? Mm, bad tenants. Follow bad yeah. tenants. You flips happen every half, like the next time where they move to. Yeah. You wait for that property. It's going to be the next year. You can watch. It's fantastic. <laughs> you know, know what? I want to invite myself to just like shadow you for like just a week. I, I bet you, I just... <laughs> <laughs> that's where i get all my investments right i follow like two tenants right they go to the next property and that person's gonna sell get that one and just follow oh, that rental the next one the next one hired and frustrated landlords great that resource. is hell- that's yeah. that's funny but you know what like even just your stories about being not that i want to put myself in the situation but like you, you were chased with a machete for a while back so like you've got these insane stories like we hear about them but yeah you're experiencing them every single week yeah. just one extreme to the other Question number three, in your opinion, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? Oh, patience. Okay. Yeah, patience. Got patience right on. All right. And last question of the lightning round. On a typical Sunday morning, what are you getting up to? What are you doing? It's running uh, away from machetes, hopefully not. But what are, you, what are you doing on a Sunday morning? Sunday morning? My colleagues are going to laugh. But I do absolutely but all. I don't do anything i sit at home and i'll probably like i wake up at five every day and then i probably from five till about 11 i just spend most of my time watching like those old saturday morning cartoons like looney bugs, tunes yeah bugs, bugs, i watch them with my my nephew who's like two I, and i just make the joke that he he knows what's going on he does not just watch SpongeBob <laughs> stop it's fantastic yeah, it's a great way awesome. of here's a stress relief that's what i do <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, badeep, 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 badeep. That's all, folks. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. So, Andrew, where can our Right Club community reach out and find out more? 
Ah, you can reach us at 289-339-1311. That's my, our office line there. You can reach us over Facebook at Caveat LLP. And you can also reach us at our website as well. And you can just Google us, Caveat LLP, Andrew Chibetta, and my colleagues, Glenn Gosling and Angie Smith. And we're always here to help. Amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll make sure to have you back on because there's just so much to dissect. (laughs) Thanks very much. No worries, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.